Welcome to the 360T Podcast, a series that features top industry professionals offering unique insights regarding how the FX market is developing around us. Hello and welcome to the 360T Podcast with myself, Galen Stops. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Justin Slaughter, who's a partner at Mercury Strategies, which offers legal and consulting work at the intersection of technology, fintech, and finance. And Justin is also counsel to the Foreign Exchange Professionals Association. Justin, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. It's good to be here, Galen. So, Justin, I hear there's an election of some sort in the U.S. this year. Is that right? Amazingly enough, yes. We in America are sometimes said to be a bit election crazy. And your listeners would be forgiven if you were thinking, well, when do they ever not have an election? (laughs) But we are finally 63 days out from one of our quadrennial presidential elections. It is, I would say, a highly interesting one to a lot of people around the world because of both the events of the last several years and the current, shall we say, disruptions we're all living through. The first thing I wanted to ask you was, Obviously, the election, certainly over here, and I think even globally, is sucking up a a lot of attention, a lot of press, a lot of focus. With everything and all the turmoil that's happening politically, just because of the election, but also because of the pandemic, etc., that's happening right now, in Washington, where you're based, has the focus somewhat slipped away from financial regulation at the moment? Yes. The short answer is yes. Obviously, the financial regulatory agencies continue to operate. They do so almost entirely remotely. I was speaking to a person at the Treasury Department who uh, recently was the SEC about two weeks ago, and they mentioned to me that before they left, only three people of the entire SEC staff were in the building on a regular basis, and they were two people advising the chairman there and the chairman. All work is remote. That requires, obviously, things to move a bit slower than expected. There's not much focus on financial regulation from either the broader press or Capitol Hill or the presidential campaign. Work continues. Some notable regulations have been completed in the last several months, most notably a CFTC, Commodity Futures Trading Commission, regulation on capital. We're expecting a regulation to be finalized on position limits in the coming weeks. But it's safe to say that this issue is far from the minds of most people in town right now. Everything is pandemic, recession, social unrest, and election. Not necessarily in that order, although I'd say the pandemic is the one link that connects everything else in the moment, even more than the election. And one thing that we've discussed on this podcast a few times is that many of the trading firms in the FX market were actually surprised at the extent to which they were able to carry on operations relatively normally, certainly after a period of adjustment, at least during the pandemic. Do you think that the same is true of regulators or does kind of a decentralized working environment really hobble the construction and implementation of new regulations and policies? So it's a great question. And I would say it is, they definitely have adapted better than a lot of us expected. The one advantage that the FX industry and the financial industry in general has over government is far more resources are available to transition to full remote quickly. The government has not had an increased budget after all for going and engaging in telework because of this. The budgets were the same as it ever was. So there was a halting period of several weeks, I would say, where everything seemed to slow down or even stop. Now, though, people have begun to get into a groove. I would say a lot of the staff are probably not receiving the same kind of focused attention you might want or expect. But the key focuses of each commission are being dealt with, are being followed through on. And 
I do believe we are at each agency operating at no worse than about 75, 80% capacity at this time. Now that could change again. A lot of people are nervous about how this will work now that we're in the fall where all schools here are remote. There's no public school in the DC area that is in person, even part-time. That may drain a lot of the energy and time away from some workers who are parents, especially those who are parents of small children. But for the moment, things seem to be mostly operating. And we saw that even in the spring when the CFTC, SEC were able to provide emergency relief for businesses to continue to operate remotely. There are a number of uh, emerging no-action requests slash guidance offers from the CFTC that allowed for remote operations in certain parts of the business. And those have been extended, at least for the foreseeable future. And then I've read a lot in the press lately about the politicization of government agencies in the U.S. I mean, for, for those who don't keep up with the U.S. news, the post office has become a flashpoint of politicization in the U.S., Is this a concern or is this something that is being discussed in relation to the agencies that regulate and monitor financial services, given that commissioners are nominated by the parties? To this point, there hasn't been much. We're starting to see signs that they might be next in line for what you might call politicization. So the general trend thus far has been over the course of the Trump administration, we've seen more and more appointees coming to their regulatory bodies that have minimal experience or, shall we say, heterodox or unorthodox views. And financial regulation, by and large, has not been affected heavily by that. You kept seeing more mainline persons appointed to these jobs, people who could have been appointed in any Republican administration. Chris Giancarlo to be CFTC chair, Steve Mnuchin to be Secretary of the Treasury, even. Justin Mazinich to be Deputy Secretary of the Treasury, Jay Clayton to be Chairman of the SEC. But now you're starting to see folks like Judy Shelton nominated to the Federal Reserve, who's someone who seems to be a pretty committed gold standard supporter. But also Robert Bowles, I believe is his name, who's got nominated to the CFTC, who comes to the CFTC to replace Brian Quinten from the Executive Office of the President from the White House. And I believe the Department of Housing and Urban Development or HHS, one of the two. And his main experience is uh, insurance. So this is a much more surprising nomination and could be a sign we'll start to see more overtly political figures enter financial regulation agencies if there is a second Trump term or in the following month of a final uh, first Trump term. And then you sort of touched on this at the beginning, but I wanted to drill down further, which is, has the real impact of the pandemic on rulemaking within financial services just been to slow everything down, to throw sand in the wheels. I mean, I feel like the obvious early casualty here was UMR, the uncleared margin rules, which were widely anticipated, particularly as a driver of of central clearing, that are now been pushed back. Do you see a lot of things just getting pushed back and back and back as a result? Yes. I think in general, the number one effect has been to delay implementation of already finished rules. UMR is a good example of that. The phase uh, six uh, rule on margin all implementation was also pushed back. I think this will continue until we reach a state of normalcy. I don't think it will go on forever. I think next year, especially if we start to see a vaccine around Christmas time and then the beginnings of a normal engagement, there will be a demand to try and decrease the number of uh, implementation periods that are extended. But my guess is 21 will continue to be a halting year of implementation. But by the end of 21, you'll start to see people putting on pressure to finally let a lot of the things that were supposed to happen in 20 or 21 finally take effect. 
that I should probably add, I do think that desire for normalcy will be true, whether there is a second Trump term and it's attendant more conservative financial regulators or a Joe Biden presidency and there are more progressive financial regulators. There will be a desire to to normal on a lot of operations by 22. And I would also note, I don't think the regulatory community on either side of the aisle is interested or accepting yet of the idea that telework in particular will be permanent for all financial industry actors. That hasn't penetrated yet inside the regulatory community. Okay, interesting. To pick up a point that you alluded to there, do you think that the outcome of the upcoming U.S. election will trigger a significant direction when it comes to financial regulation one way or the other? Or will it be more or less, you know, the status quo continued regardless of who wins? Yeah, it's a great question. I think we will see a fork in the road with this election. If Donald Trump does win re-election, which remains a real possibility, I would give it very low odds, perhaps one out of six at the moment from the models I follow and the people I talk to. But if it does happen, um, you will see a continuation of the previous somewhat deregulatory trend. But the thing people forget is a lot of financial uh, regulatory activity in the Trump administration came late in this term. 2017, 2018, a lot of the financial regulators from SEC and CFTC to the Fed and Treasury didn't do a lot of what they were expected to do, drawing back, rolling back some Obama-era regulations. And those actions only really began to be seen in 19 and 20. So to some extent, they will be making it for lost time and probably continue their deregulatory push, maybe even accelerate it in a second Trump term. If Joe Biden wins, however, I think you will see an effort not just to roll back the rollback, as it were, to undo the actions of uh, the Trump administration, but probably to put in place regulations that are tougher than existed in the second Obama term, whether that's dealing with regulations and issues that the Obama administration financial regulatory team never got to from algorithmic trading and fintech to literally doing a tougher version, probably of things like the Volcker rule of capital margin even, and possibly changing some of the structure of how these agencies work. So I do think we're reaching a very significant breakpoint in how this issue area is approached. And I should note, it is also likely to be extended to how the U.S. approaches other countries and other financial regulatory associations. If Donald Trump wins re-election, you're likely to see a continued effort to make peace with the EU on clearinghouses on the EU's terms. If Joe Biden wins, it may not be the case. You may see the U.S. return to the Gary Gensler, the former CPC chairman's role, of trying to press the rest of the world to be much tougher than they would be under their own auspices if left to their own devices. That's a great point. And that's something I want to pick up with you, which is post-financial crisis, there has been an awful lot of work that's gone into trying to coordinate different regulatory responses in different regions. Now, obviously, one trend we've seen recently, right, is the, the trade wars, and now it seems kind of the tech wars. And as a result, you know, there have been questions around the dollar's position in the global financial system. Could we potentially see a decoupling or different spheres of influence in the financial system? Do you ever think that this could be reflected in regulation, where we could have you know, different regulations that effectively don't work together and thus create barriers between different regions? It's a great question. And I, typically when this is brought up, it's discussed in the context of either U.S.-China relations or U.S.-EU relations. I think I'll, I'll take both counts, actually. 
if Donald Trump were to win, there will likely be increased efforts by a Trump administration, a second term Trump administration, to increase the conflict with the EU. A lot of the Trump administration regards the EU as a rival trading bloc to the U.S. and as a desire to break it in some sense. This is not, I would say, a universal view inside the Trump administration's senior leadership, but it is present. They also, of course, have a desire to confront China on a whole host of matters. If Joe Biden wins, you're likely to see an effort to make peace with the EU on many topics and to kind of continue to view the U.S.-EU relationship as one that the U.S. is the first among equals, but the EU kind of works with us to further uh, joint goals. There will still be, however, a desire to push back against China. There is, in general, a sense that the U.S. was perhaps taking the wrong course, I would say, on how it approached China over the last several years. There is, in general, and this is an area I will confess this is not my number one focus. It's foreign policy more than it is finance. But there is a sense growing, I'd say, inside Washington, D.C., that the theory of how to deal with China for the last 25 years, engaging with China, encouraging them by increasing trade barriers to liberalize their political system, has failed. China today is probably more centralized and arguably more authoritarian at any time since uh, Mao Zedong died. Xi Jinping is the paramount leader who seems to be uninterested and unwilling giving up power regularly, but instead is happy to continue to arrogate power versus the rest of the structure there. This is calling out for a new strategy to deal with China to confront China more aggressively. Whether that will involve a aggressive U.S. alone versus China push, or one that is the U.S. seeking to build and corral allies to work together in a combined comprehensive push with other countries will depend on the outcome of the election. Okay. And then let's talk kind of FX specific for a moment here, which is I mentioned at the start that you work with the Foreign Exchange Professionals Association, the FXPA. Could you perhaps tell me a little bit about what the group has been up to? I'm thinking particularly since the outbreak of the pandemic. Of course. So FXPA obviously is a trade association aimed at issues related to the FX market. We have a whole host of members from custodial institutions like uh, BNY Mellon and State Street to CalPERS, uh, Colorado Public Employees Retirement Association, CME Group, ICE, 360T, as well as a member, I should note. And we're very grateful that's such a wide slew of membership across the industry. Since the pandemic, we have taken a lot of time to create a regular call-in to discuss how people's operations have changed due to the pandemic. And this has been, I'd say, a great opportunity for members to discuss various strategies or what they're hearing about how you can make the very unprecedented operational changes that are required in a fast and cost-effective manner. I would say this working group we have, if you call it a working group, might not be totally correct. Perhaps it'd be better called a discussion group, is extremely well attended. And members tell me constantly get a lot of good feedback and a lot of good ideas from these conversations because it allows them to take it back to their leadership and say, here's what our competitors are thinking of doing in terms of getting people to work from home, in terms of finding ways to get people back in the office, all of which is uh, in line with the overall goals of the trade association that helps the industry broadly to advance the goals of the FX industry. And one of the things I like about the FXPA is that there's real diversity of participants within the group. That being said, have they all been struggling and encountering and grappling and and hopefully overcoming similar types of problems since the start of the pandemic? I would say pretty much. To the extent the problems are similar, it's that all of us have workers 
that work in office buildings that depended before the pandemic on a lot of face-to-face contact and had a trading floor, which was one that was not, shall we say, COVID equipped. So people all had to deal with what happened when everyone had to go home. Most of the members had significant numbers of employees in areas that were the subject of mandatory lockdowns. To the extent there are differences, I would say it depends upon the location of members. Obviously, we have SGX, Singapore Exchange as a member. Singapore has handled this virus a bit better, I would say, than a lot of other countries, certainly better than the United States, I'm sorry to say. So they have had an easier time, I would say, figuring out how to reopen than a lot of companies in the UK, in London, or in the US, in New York, or other major US cities. I should also note, travel being so horribly restricted is proving to be very difficult for a lot of members, not least that it's hard to move people around and increasingly hard to get a person into your country given visa changes by the Trump administration in the summertime. Well, Justin, we're going to have to leave it there, but thank you so much for a uh, interesting and, and rather wide-ranging discussion in the end. My pleasure, Galen. It's always good to talk to you, and thank you for making time today. Thank you for listening to the 360T Podcast. Check the 360T website to catch up on past episodes and find new listings.